0: Beginning Scientific theories do not emerge from the pure and dispassionate thoughts in men's heads. These theories serve practice and are established in order to clear the way for men's essential practical tasks. They even arise as a result of practical needs and change their form if the environment, needs or society change. For this reason, the same doctrine can assume completely different correlations over the course of time. What a great difference there is between the Christianity of the 1st centuries AD, or of the Middle Ages, or of the various Protestant churches of the Reformation, and that of the free-thinking bourgeoisie of the 19th century. The same is, of course, true of Marxism. Despite being a straightforward scientific theory, it has nonetheless taken on diverse appearances in
1: accordance with the needs of successive epochs. Absolutely right. I'm sure people agree with that. So let's just look at the strategy that's been employed in a real world. So it discussed Christianity has actually changed throughout its centuries. The use of religion is obviously used to control and manipulate holy subjects, i.e. the masses. And it was used to that degree at different points in history. If you look at, you know, early feudalistic times where you would be hanged if you said the lord's name in vain to today where you can have same-sex marriage for example christianity is willing to bend with the forces that be because obviously there's no way people could wake up and then we could have a strict christianic christianic society where people would be hanged and flogged and all of that because of the strict christianity fucking written 1600 years ago you know times change in it and also people's tolerance to bullshit changes so is that what it's getting at ryan what do you think
0: i mean essentially it's just the idea that you know material conditions will change the theories and times of the times and they in turn r- turn around and change the material conditions right like nothing essentially nothing from the sort of 18th or 19th century is the same thing it is today, ultimately, right? Everything is in a perpetual state of flux, right? The idea is that, you know, the only thing that stays the same in life is change. This is, of course, true within, you know, Marxism itself, you know, the Marxism of today is obviously going to be fundamentally different than the Marxism of when Marx was alive, simply because the material conditions of today are fundamentally different than when Marx was alive, right? This is why... The idea of rigidly adhering to what Marx said, no matter what, is ridiculous, because the irony there is that Marx would have been against rigidly adhering to Marx's words, because you know Marx had a better understanding of Marxism, which is that these ideas and theories and everything will change over time as the material conditions change, right? These things aren't to be upheld as some kind of religious dogma to just always be adhered to no matter what material conditions change, it's actually supposed to change with the material conditions, and that will in turn change the material conditions themselves, and it becomes a sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing. You know, they influence and change each other at the same time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this writer has acknowledged that there will be changes to the substructure of the superstructure of whether it's Christianity, Marxism or anything. But fundamentally, Christianity still exists to have people believing in God. It still exists to have people believing if they don't behave in a certain way that they're going to hell. Those things are certain. What the writer is getting across though, is how to share those ideas with other people and how to justify why people should be Christians that's changed that's changed with the times and throughout centuries in the same way as marxism well yeah i mean it's just saying that
0: you know nothing is exempt essentially from the material conditions so we can take something like christianity and the christianity to of today is obviously Nothing like the Christianity of the first centuries AD, which is entirely different from the Middle Ages, which is of course entirely different from the sort of Protestant Reformation era, right? And that's because all of these things, all of these ideas, and that's essentially what Christianity is, it's just a set of ideas or beliefs. No matter what your ideas or beliefs are, none of them are exempt from the material conditions. So even something like Christianity is essentially dragged through having to change because the material conditions of reality change, right? like it it would it's just completely incompatible for the pope or something to try and enact a version of christianity today that belongs in the 16th century right it's it's fundamentally impossible there's there's no possible way to do that (laughs) yeah
1: yeah totally absolutely we know that because we can think about the world and hopefully interact with the world differently because times have changed differently, because we've had times to reflect. He finishes saying, you know, the same thing is true of Marxism, despite being a straightforward scientific theory, it is nonetheless taken on diverse appearances in accordance with the needs of successive epochs. And that's obviously similarly when Christianity was needed to ensure the ruling of the divine right of kings, you know, Henry VIII use christianity but when it didn't fucking agree with him he just created this whole new motherfucking christianity protestantism or whatever so that he could get divorced in it. so he just fully he fully created a whole new religion out of the same religion how do I say that so for example christianity is being used to ensure and justify the divine right of kings but you know even if the king disagrees with christianity and then he wants to do things differently then that is a different different epoch so henry the obviously created protestantism because he wanted to fucking get divorced so he fully just made a whole new religion and that is like a new epoch coming about so christianity again it, it exists it had to be Christianity, Protestantism is Christianity, and it has to be so that Henry VIII could have still consolidated his power through the divine right of king ideology that was prominent at the time and people believed in like fucking fools. And at the same time, Marxism's justification and his reason for existence has continued to change. So you look at Marxism to encourage socialism, utopian and scientific, and then you could look at, you know, Russia organising the workers in 19 fucking 17 In China, Marxism was used to mobilise the peasantry with protected war. There's no point going to the peasants in China and saying you need to fucking seize the means of production because the peasantry in China never had the means of production. You know, the industrial level of development hadn't reached that stage of development so marxism had to while still being marxism and still being about getting to communism the same way christianity is about getting to heaven marxism demanded that the people apply it differently marxism has constantly changed wherever it's being applied and marxism being obviously like a class struggle the method to overthrow capitalism so yeah china organising the peasantry with projected war. That's different from how Russia did it. And we even had the development of Marxism, Leninism for the Soviet Union. You know, even the internationalist ideology of the Black Panthers that arose out of the conditions from trying to start a revolution in the imperial core. So is that true? As Marxism had to consistently change itself in those ways? Is that kind of what the writer is getting at? Yes, but that's, you know, the
0: irony of it is that that is what Marxism says. Marxism says that Marxism will always change because it's it has to adapt and change to the material conditions of any population that's interpreting, reading and inheriting the ideas, right? The idea is that it cannot be any other way. It it just it cannot be any other way. Like the material conditions have to not even have to. They they necessitate a changing in Marxism. It, it's impossible for it to be otherwise.
1: Uh-huh. Okay. Moving on. Can you carry on?
0: Yeah, sure. Marxism was the theory of the end of capitalism. Marx, as he wrote in the 1847 Communist Manifesto, called upon all proletarians of the whole capitalist world, proletarians of all countries unite. And he did more than call for unity, something which, of course, had already been done by many others for many different ends. But he also contributed a theory to the proletarians which showed them their end goal, which explained society to them and gave them the certainty of the success of their endeavours, which was known as historical materialism.
1: Yeah, now we're really getting into the depth of it because people coming together and uniting isn't... The goal in of itself, it's up to us to determine how we unite and under what reasons and for what gains. And that is important. And that is where we start to look at historical materialism. So could you continue, please? Historical materialism
0: analyses the activity of men in history on the basis of their material relations and above all their economic relations. Since men do, of course, not act unconsciously, but through the medium of thoughts, ideas, and goals, the latter are always present in their actions, which is to say that these thoughts, ideas, and goals do not, of course, emerge on their own, accidentally, but they are the effect of those same social relations and needs. If an economic transformation is required, if the old conditions are outmoded, this always generates, in the minds of men... The consciousness of the impossibility of the permanence of the previous conditions and the will to change them this will irresistibly clear the way by means of action and determines practice for all these reasons the proletariat not only needs to realize a better order historical materialism gives the proletariat the certainty that such an order will come since the development of the economy contributes to and makes possible its attainment in this manner Socialism ceases to be a utopia and becomes a science.
1: Obviously, men do not act unconsciously, but through the medium of thoughts, ideas and goals, the latter is, is always present in their actions, just like if you go to the toilet now, it's because you needed a shit, you know what I mean? It's just a, a simple fact of food is going through your digestive system and like at some point it needs to come out, so you need to act, willingly to go to the fucking toilet you don't have to go to the toilet you can go fucking anywhere but the point being is you're going to the toilet because you live in a western society and that is taught and expected of you and you know that's just what you do if somebody made a clone of you in your body and they never had any of your prior knowledge or thoughts you're not going to go to the toilet you know what i'm saying it's like all of your actions and all that come from obviously the ideas and thoughts and material surroundings that we live in already but the whole point in historical materialism is to say you know what maybe we shouldn't be shitting down the toilet maybe we should shit down the next catalysts because <laughs> if we have a good thing then the world would be a lot better place and i think that you know <laughs> it was a kind of a mad example but do you get me? True. Sure. Some who reject this view,
0: who did not understand this doctrine because it constituted a powerful denial of their extremely rigid opinions, accused it of fatalism and said that it simply reduced men to the level of a puppet with no will as his own. This is of course incorrect as we have seen, but the fact that they had fallen prey to this error was nonetheless also partially the result of the particular characteristics assumed by Marx during its early days. Marxism has two parts. Man is a product of his circumstance, but man in turn modifies those circumstances. Man is only the agent of economic needs, but these needs can also be changed thanks to his activity. Both parts are equally correct and important, and together they form a complete theory. But one or the other part must be emphasized according to the circumstances. Yeah, so that essentially is just explaining dialectics. It's explaining that both things influence each other, both things impact each other, right? Thoughts and ideas impact upon the material conditions and then those material conditions turn around and
1: impact thoughts and opinions. So what it says, some who reject this view did not understand this doctrine, it constitutes the powerful denial of their extremely rigid opinions, accused it of fatalism, and said that it reduced man to the level of a puppet with no will of his own. So is that determinism it's getting at? Uh, I mean, kind of. It's essentially saying that just whatever happens was
0: bound to have happened or decreed to have happened, you know. well, Marx himself also talked about the idea against, you know, like, economism as he called it, which is like the idea that these economic relations or material conditions necessitate a certain outcome that the will of people are unable to change. It's essentially the idea that sort of only half of that dialectic exists and it's the sort of negation of the other half, right? It's the idea that like the material conditions necessitate certain thoughts and opinions, and that's it, right? But what Marxism is saying is that the the other side to it there is that those thoughts and opinions and everything then turn around and in turn impact those material conditions so it's a it's a feedback loop right like they impact each other
1: so let's give an example is you're outside you're thinking about life you're looking at stars and you're thinking man i think i think we're running low on electricity like we need some electricity i mean we've been doing a lot of electrical stuff you know for a while and i think that it's due to go out so Man is compelled to consider buying more electricity. And, um, you know, the man is compelled to buy that electricity and then put it in with the lucky key and then top up the electricity. So that person is... Essentially doing predictable behavior, isn't it? It's perfectly predictable that somebody is going to have to top up the electricity for the house. That's obvious. And that is like, that is like a puppet on a string with no will of his own kind of thing to a degree. But what we're trying to reiterate here is that we have the power to not simply top up our electricity and then be without electricity, but that's to our own detriment. And don't suggest that. But I think what we're trying to do is try and bring up the fact that whilst there are many behaviours that capitalism forces the people to do, to behave like sheep, to behave like puppets, the fact remains what it's from. It's like we've been exploited. These commodities have been hoarded from us with people with power, and they'll use that power if we don't pay them or they don't get something from us that would require you know physical work to do otherwise to benefit them without them lifting a finger so i mean it's it's like if we think about things so much we know the answer we know why we're behaving to a level of of puppets but a puppet can never think about why he's on a string we can We can think why we're on the string, and again, as Huey P. Newton says, identifying our conditions and why we have to top up the electricity bill, for example, that is power, and then what we can do to change it by marching towards socialism, that is what gives us power. It's the power to recognise that we can become more animated. Any thoughts on that? Is that what I was getting at? Was that a good example? or?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, it's just necessitating the importance of all material conditions, but specifically, you know, economic relations, right? It's the fact that everything ultimately is shaped around the economic conditions in your life, you know? That's
1: just the way it is. 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 So, yeah, just to underline Marxism as two parts, man is a product of the circumstances but man in turn modifies those circumstances. And we want to reiterate, we don't want complacency. We want struggle. So we don't want you doing the same behaviours that's expected of you. We need struggle. We need action that would get in the way of the gears of capitalism in all aspects of everybody's life. That's why we're talking about direct action as to like how to change these things. So it's true that man is an agent of economic needs but these needs can be changed because of our activity and you know marxism has consistently proved that to everybody so uh, do you want me do we want to move on
0: yeah sure During the era of harsh persecution after 1878, when everything seemed hopeless, when so many leaders deserted or were unfaithful to the cause, when the ranks of the fighters were severely decimated, when those who stood their ground were losing courage, then Marxism would not have given them the confidence in or the certainty of victory, or the determination they needed, if it had not stressed the fact that over the long term human efforts must yield before the power of economic destiny. Over the ensuring period, it had to place a great deal of emphasis on the fact that great political changes would only be possible when economic development was sufficiently advanced. Allowing things to mature then had to be the theoretical solution, and this is why Marxism adopted the form of parliamentarianism against anarchism. Marxism thus served as a theory of the complete dependence of man in respect to economic relations during those years of numerical weakness providing the socialists with a secure guide for their tactics.
1: I feel like I'm probably fucking missing some context, and I think everybody is, because this is talking about fucking 1878. (laughs) Um, But what we appear to be looking at is just a kind of period in time where Marxists would concede to a power of economic destiny rather than action do you think that was the case i'm pretty sure the idea here is that you know when we're talking about ideas and
0: thoughts and ideas and opinions shaping the material conditions and then the material conditions in turn shaping this earlier in this document it was essentially saying that one is dominant like sometimes one takes priority right one takes priority over the other So I think what they're saying here, the idea is that the actual material conditions didn't allow for the implementation of the ideas that they had, and that's when they had to essentially adopt the form of parliamentarianism to actually impact and change the material conditions. I mean, I think there might even be a through line here with what China's attempting to do, I guess, because the line in here is over the ensuing period, it had to place a great deal of emphasis on the fact that great political change would only be possible when economic development was sufficiently advanced so the idea here is that you know they simply didn't have the economic power to enact great political change and when that's the case you have to build your material basis right your actual economic conditions you actually have to build those up before anything else is possible
1: Rest in power all those comrades from 1878 who tried and, despite the material conditions not being right, solidarity. I mean, you can even say that even that shows the
0: power of the dialectic, right? Because once you understood that the economic development isn't sufficiently advanced, you use the thoughts and opinions of men to change those material conditions. And you impact economic development, and then that will in turn lead to new ideas and new thoughts, new opinions, and, you know, these two will keep impacting back on each other.
1: Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the point being, you know, that we can always consistently do something with the material conditions we're faced with? Not only can always, but there's no other option. It's, like, literally just a reality. Like, we are doing it. Yeah. Whether unconsciously or or consciously, like... It, It will happen, yes. Yeah, that's it.
0: Historical materialism, therefore, necessarily had to assume a powerful, fatalistic accent, and this can clearly be seen in the spirit of the leaders and theoreticians of that era. To wait, to undertake propaganda in the meantime, or to organise the growing proletarian masses, since the circumstances required this, was the tactic, and that was the theoretical work of that era. Especially those by Kautsky show us the predominant power which was conceded to economic relations in history. Yeah, again it's just saying that you know it's not an option this has to be done in order to achieve the goals there's no way around it you can't skip and go to the final boss right you can't just like skip a couple levels because you're dealing with material reality you have to deal with the material conditions at the time there's there's simply no other option
1: wow yeah important important paragraph important point point. and you can't just skip the levels to get to the boss I just want to reiterate that to people, historical materialism therefore necessarily had to assume a powerful, fatalistic accent, and this can be clearly be seen in the spirit of the leaders and theoreticians of that era. To wait to undertake propaganda in the meantime, to organise the growing proletarian masses, since the circumstances required this, was the tactic. Let's just consider this for sort the of fact that those conditions were not there. They were not developed as we are now. They did not have social media to connect and share and spread information in an instant across the entire planet and beyond. I just really think people should consider that just because they've heard a kind of sit back and agitate as being the primary method of revolutionary tactic in this fucking 1900s or the 1800s we're not at that point today we can definitely do some things that's just like my my note from that yeah and i mean again it's just further showing how these two things impacted them right because in the previous paragraph
0: they were talking about okay well they now have an understanding that the economic development isn't sufficiently advanced yet so what do they do they understand that in order to change the material economic conditions You have to change the thoughts, opinions, and of man. So immediately, they go to undertaking propaganda. Because if you want to change the material conditions, then you need people to change those material conditions, which means propagandizing people to change the thoughts and opinions in their head so that they go and change those material conditions, right? It's a fundamental dialectic understanding that in order to change one, you kind of have to change the other one. that's what base and superstructure is in order to change the superstructure you kind of have to change the base but if you want to change the base
1: then you kind of have to change the superstructure right (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that's right i gotta
0: continue all of this was consciously undertaken during those years even when the economic conditions became favorable for a stronger insurgency of the working class. This may seem contradictory, but is in fact quite understandable. When it became politically necessary to take up new tactical methods and to mobilize energetic action on behalf of important fundamental rights, when imperialism grew, threatening with the approach of serious crises, and the masses fought for the right to vote. When all these things took place, the leading circles of the party became increasingly aware of the dangers which these new tactics which would be violently confronted by the forces of order posed to usual peaceful activities. Then they went into reverse. They made the masses retreat and opposed those who continued to advance. Kautsky put forth the idea that it was anti-Marxist to incite the proletariat to such actions, that only the anarchists and the syndicalists incited them in that manner, and that true Marxists must know that the circumstances have to mature on their own without being forced. It was in this way that while the vast majority of the party bureaucracy paralysed, all the party's living currents and the party's tactics became famous. I'm pretty sure you can find, like, documents.
1: It's way, so many pedals. For example, you can get arrested, you know, you get fucking deported. All these... You know, negative things that come from direct action, that people are scared to take in direct action, you know, you could lose your job. Why engage in action if economic development itself will just automatically cause capitalism to collapse, essentially?
0: I don't actually think this is pro I think this is just essentially saying what Kowski thought, essentially. I think the next paragraph sort of talks about that.
1: It is though, and this paragraph is essentially bringing up an a strain of thought that exists today within Marxism, and that is that capitalism is going to cause its own demise. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's economism, right? I mean, this is essentially what Marx was talking about, which was the idea that's like,
0: don't reside yourself to the idea that no one has to actually do anything because the material conditions will sort of magically change on their
1: own. Yeah, that's right. So the writer basically just asks here, why engage in action? You know, And people could reframe that today as, why should we engage in any direct action against capitalism if it means I'm going to get arrested, if it means I'll lose my job, I'm going to get a reputation of being a sick revolutionary... (laughs) That's the sort of logical conclusion if you
0: follow through with economism, right? If the idea is that the capitalism will collapse on its own, the logical conclusion is well, then why do any of us need to do anything? Like, what's the point? Why wouldn't I just sit around and wait for this thing to just fall into our laps with a ripe fruit, right? And the idea is because that's not how that happens. It happens through the actions of people who have been influenced by the material conditions, who were influenced by previous ideas, who were in turn influenced by previous material conditions, right? Like, it's not magic. This doesn't just, like, happen. It's actually going to be forced to happen by the actions of people. The workers who accepted this sort of Marxism have never, up until the previous day, done anything to contradict such theories. The enemies of social democracy were not so fatalistic as to allow things to mature on their own accord until Germany's economic development would by itself grant them the position they sought in world affairs. They knew that they would have to fight to achieve their goal, that without a struggle nothing can be obtained, and for many years they seriously prosecuted this struggle. The proletarians let themselves be deceived by the artificial uproar and noise of the great electoral victory and stayed the course. But now is the time to bring to the fore the other part of Marxism which has been so neglected. Now, when the workers' movement must find a new direction, in order to overcome the narrow views and the passivity of the old era, if it wants to overcome the crisis, men must themselves make history, or else history will be made by others for them. Of course, they cannot build without taking the circumstances into account, but they build nonetheless. Man himself is the element which can actively shape history. In effect, the economy must condition him, but he must act still. Without his action, nothing happens. And acting in the sense of changing society is something very different and much greater than depositing a vote in a ballot box every five years. A new world can by no means be built so easily. The human spirit is not just the product of economic relations, but it is also the cause of change in those relations. Great changes in the mode of production, for example the passage from feudalism to capitalism and from the latter to socialism, only take place where new needs influence man's spirit and lead him to a particular form of desired action. When this will to action becomes effective, man changes society, for the purpose of making society meet his new needs. Marxism has taught us how our predecessors, by changing their world, were driven by social forces. And now it teaches us today that today's man, driven by economic necessity, must get to work if they want to change the world. Again, further driving home the idea here that those two things influence each other. This is actually an anti-Kautsky article because it's simply saying that if you want to change the world, you cannot imagine idealistically casting a ballot every five years or, you know, five years here in the UK or, you know, four years in the United States or whatever, is going to fundamentally change the world, right? The idea that putting a piece of paper in a ballot and then going back to work and living life the same way as you always have is going to fundamentally reshape society, right? Because it's not. Society will be fundamentally reshaped when the lives of average everyday citizens requires a new society in order for them to live how they're living. That's
1: what he's saying. The point in philosophers, it's not so that if you got a cut on your knee that they can run over, so that they can philosophise. Oh my god, you have a cut on your knee, that means that your blood is pouring, your veins have been cut, which is leading to the outside of your body. That's no good like it's no good telling me all this shit just go and get me a fucking plaster you know what i'm saying it's like no like i'm fucking hurt i've got a cut yeah there's no good philosophizing about it Go not get me a fucking plaster do you know what i'm saying so we need the um initial assessment of course yes and then we also need to look at what to do about that bandage um If it gets infected in two, three weeks' time, we need to look at long-term solutions to fix the problem. And the problem was broken skin. All of this, again, philosophy, it all comes down to what are you going to do with what you know? We can all sit there. We can all think about the world explicitly. We can all think of every different aspect of capitalist society explicitly. But the point is we need to use our understanding of it to change it, and that is where our power lies, and we have to get involved in organizations doing direct action to act as humanity against capitalism. This text is ancient, it's from the early 1900s, but it's also Marxism, it's also scientifically valid in terms of Marxist theory. Yeah, I mean, it's just fundamentally at its core, it's the idea that the only constant
0: is change. That's it. The only constant is change, right? And that is sort of paradoxical at its core, but it's still, it's still true, right? Like material conditions necessarily change the superstructure, the thoughts and opinions and, of man, and then it will turn around and change the material conditions, right?
1: Yeah, because let's just look at the actual title of the text. It is titled Marxism as Action. So I think what the writer really wants us to take with us after reading this text, good comrade I'm sure, they want Marxists to act because Marxism isn't a theory. Marxism only exists as action and we can theorise about the action that Marxism takes if we don't have marxism and marxist today individuals who aren't acting then we don't have marxism we don't have marxists because they're not changing anything they're just thinking about things they're doing a foibuch and they're just thinking and we don't need thinkers we need people who act marxism as action marxism is action
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm the Zen Marxist. I'm going to throw some of this in here, right? Because, you know, I think Zen Buddhism essentially understands this concept at its core anyway, right? All of you, I'm sure, have seen the sort of yin-yang sign, right? Like the black and the white halves. The correct way to see it is animated, essentially. It spins, right? This is the idea that, yeah, I mean, that's actually how you're supposed to see it. It's the idea that, you know, both of these parts are moving and changing each other. At the same time, hello, this is a direct correlation, right? It's the idea that thoughts impact actions, actions impact thoughts, and you can't have one without the other, right? These are actually two halves of one whole thing. But it's supposed to spin because it's it's denoting action, it denotes that this thing is living, it's a constantly changing thing. The strange thing there is that when you see pictures of it, it's not actually embodying the philosophy because it's stagnant, it's still, it's fixed in time, and that's fundamentally not how life is. And there's actually a very famous Zen koan, for those of you that don't know, Zen koans are essentially like teaching tools within Zen to try and teach this very notion And they do it as kind of like a riddle, and the idea is that you sort of can't get to the solution through your thinking mind. You have to essentially deeply meditate on these things. As I was doing this episode, one Zen koan in specific came to my mind as I'm thinking about this, right? It's the koan of the happy Chinaman. So all of you have probably seen like the little statue of the laughing Buddha, right? He's like the little laughing guy with the fat belly. He was a real dude, right? You know, so the story goes. I'll read you this Zen Koan, right? Because I think this shows the importance of the lesson in this story, essentially, is that you need both theory and action. These are both the yin and the yang of Marxism or also Buddhism. You know, that's why I am literally an adherent of Marxist Buddhism or whatever, right? So here's the Koan Anyone walking about Chinatowns in America will observe statues of a little stout fellow carrying a linen stack. Chinese merchants call him the Happy Chinaman or Laughing Buddha. This Hoti lived in the Tang Dynasty. He had no desire to call himself a Zen master and or to gather any disciples around him. Instead, he just walked the streets with a big sack into which he would put gifts, like sweets, fruit, or donuts. He would give these to children who gathered around him in play. He established a kindergarten in the streets, right, a nursery in the streets. Whenever he met a Zen devotee, he would extend his hand and say, give me one penny. And if anyone asked him to return to a temple to teach others, he would simply say, give me one penny. Once he was about his play work, another Zen master approached him and inquired, what is the significance of Zen? Hoti immediately placed his sack on the ground in a silent answer. Then the other man asked, what is the actualization of Zen? at once the happy chinaman picked up the sack swung it over his shoulder and walked away (laughs) right the idea here is that you need both right him placing the sack on the ground is the significance right but it's also that in order to actualize that you need the action you need to live zen right you live it in your life right he picks up the sack and walks away and this here is a direct correlation between theory and action. I'm pretty sure I could change a couple words in here to make it directly applicable to Marxism, right? Like, what's the significance of Marxism? You know, Hoti immediately picked up theory and started reading it. <laughs> then, asked another man, what's the axialization of Marxism, right? The happy Chinaman picked up his, you know, hammer. Smashed
1: <laughs> <Right>, started- <laughs> systems.
0: <laughs> yeah, and he started, you know, building a breakfast program. You know, to bring it back to the um, yeah, 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 to the Black Panthers, right? The point is, you need both of them. One without the other is completely pointless. You know, theory is only good if it influences correct action, and acting not on the appropriate theory is just blind, right? So they're supposed to influence and change each other.
1: Yeah, defo, defo, sick. Thank you for that. I appreciate it very much. I was just thinking of it as, you know, as I was sort of doing this episode,
0: I was thinking about that koan anyway, because I I have a little statue of the the Laughing Buddha and whatever. And, you know, it just made me think of that story, because it's like, this story is about the yin and the yang, and that you need both of them. And that's essentially exactly the same as what Marxism is saying here, which is you need both of them. The whole is comprised of those two things that are ever-changing. The material conditions are ever-changing and influencing the superstructure, and the superstructure is forever changing and influencing the base. That change is enacted through the will of people, right? It doesn't magically happen. It happens through the actions of people, right? History is a thing you read about, but it also is just people doing things, you know? If you want to talk about, oh, history, oh, history is whatever, the Russian Revolution. Right. But at the time it was just people doing things. Yeah. Right. They didn't under, I mean, probably to some extent, they understood the sort of historical importance of it, but they weren't, oh, let's do this so we can make history. Right. (laughs) No, they were just reacting to the material conditions that necessitated their actions.
1: Yeah. And then history is, you know, something we look back on. Yeah. Most definitely just to appeal to everybody else. There's a lot of organizations out there, a lot of practice put forward to you as action but just investigate is the action you're doing action is it actually having an effect in the real physical world does it stop blood from being shed in the global south which is why you need both right and that's the importance of theory which is that without
0: theory how do you know the correct actions to take right how do you know how do you know if the correct action is to base build right now? Or how do you know if the correct action is to, I don't know, move to, to some kind of country in the global south and pick up arms, right? How do you know if the correct action is to pick up arms within the imperial core, right? You don't. If you don't yeah. read theory, that's the point of theory. Theory is only useful if it brings you to the correct action, right? Otherwise,
1: what is the point? Why why even bother, right? Right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people who are doing practice are into the practice of getting other people thinking, and not into the practice of getting other people doing, and that's something to go to go away with. Basically, I'm not gonna fucking say any more than that. Right, but we also know that getting people thinking is not a
0: bad thing, right? Because again, the base influences the superstructure, and if you can change the superstructure, if you can change the way people think, or how people think about things, or what people think about, then you can actually, in turn, change the base, right? This is why propaganda is so important. Like, honestly, guys, just think about it, like, we love capitalism. Capitalism wins, right? It's won. It's, a sen- it's here, right? Like, it wins, right? all throughout you know whatever the imperial core western europe et etc et so why do they go to such effort and time and put all the money into the constant propaganda why because even the bourgeoisie themselves understand that a materialist interpretation of the world is the correct one right <laughs> even they themselves understand that if they don't propagandize the population then other ideas will and that those ideas will inspire different socialist actions and they don't want that right this is why i've always said that like the most class conscious people in any society are always the bourgeoisie yeah, yeah, yeah they understand better than anyone that they have to have class solidarity right and this is why even within the united states or the united kingdom or whatever you have two parties that are supposed to be against each other or whatever, right? But they're all buddy-buddy, they all go to the same cocktail parties, right? They all understand that at the end of the day, they're class bedfellows, right? They're all from the same class, they all share the same class, they all share the same interests of the same class because they are of the same class. And so, at the end of the day, these people aren't enemies, right? They are essentially class... the class friends! Which is why, again, electoralism doesn't ultimately lead to anything different. Well, listen, here's the thing. There's like a class understanding or a class analysis doesn't necessarily mean you're on the right side of it. You know what I mean? And that's why the strongest enemy of Marxism is a Marxism that's understood by the bourgeoisie, right? Because once they now understand how this works, right, the material conditions and the superstructure and the base, what what can they do? right? They have control of all the TV stations and all the newspapers and all the radios and everything. So they use that power to influence the superstructure in a way that benefits them. Essentially, they've got a deeper understanding of... Marxism has led them to a deeper understanding of the world, and they've turned around and used that deeper understanding of the world
1: to further solidify their own power, right? Yeah, now you're just talking horror stories. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, well I mean yeah
1: I mean sure but
0: that's that's that is what's happened right like people think marxism was you know fantastic for the for the, the proletariat and it was of course right it led people to understand how society works and where power truly lies but like think about it let's say you were a member of whatever the royal family or the bourgeoisie or you were you know J P Morgan or Rockefeller or whatever right when marx wrote those books and they came out with an understanding of this you benefit from reading that because you're like shit. I'm the one in power. Like I'm the
1: bourgeoisie that he's talking about. So if I under, so if I read his book, to cement and bring us back onto the fucking subject of this episode is that if we don't act. Like, people are going to act for us. It's that simple. Yeah. Yeah, like, there there are people making decisions in this world, and you can either go along with it and do the decision that's expected of you, or you can be a revolutionary rebel. Yeah, I mean, the idea essentially boils down to, like, you know, if you don't have a plan for your
0: own life, then your life will just be a part of someone else's plan. Yes. Right? Yes. Because the idea here is that, you know, they essentially control everything, right? Right. The means of production, the TV stations, everything, right? The idea is that if you don't take control of your life in such a way as that you can, then you will essentially just be moved around by, you know, whatever TV you're seeing today or whatever news you're listening to today that wants you to believe whatever they want you to believe today, right? Totally. You'll just be a flag that's blowing in whatever propagandistic winds of the day, right? Uh, Alright guys, Zenboxist. Peace.
1: Okay, now I've got that audio clip sound. Thanks. So, bro, what was you thinking?
0: Where did we go wrong? Where did we lose our faith My brother is in need, but can he depend on me? You think if one of you tried Maybe you could find A better friend than any other If you gave more than you took